0: following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. How about we pray right now and then we'll get into the word. Father, uh, thank you again um, for the time of worship that we've had and we know that that's about us expressing our hearts to you but Father, it's just so neat to know that you're inclining your ear toward us and receiving that worship as a, as incense, as a sweet-smelling savor before you. And so, God, I pray at this moment now as you speak to us that you would open our hearts and insert your word, word that is living and active, a word that is light and life. And, God, we know apart from you speaking to us and moving in this place right now in our hearts, that we remain in our darkness. We remain under the condemnation of death. And so thank you for Jesus Christ. We've sung about him here. We've spoken his name. God, we know it's he who is the one who brings us to you, who puts light on our path and who gives us life. And so God, we pray right now in his great name. Amen. Amen. All right, if I was to say to you that right now, God was ready to give you, in particular, as an individual, His undivided special attention, God's ready to give that to you. Would you want it? Don't answer too quickly. I mean, it would seem like that would be a good thing, but for some of you, I know you might be cowering in this moment, thinking about getting God's attention and just going, hmm, hmm, not so sure that I want God really taking that close of a look at my life, giving me the kind of attention that would kind of bring everything up, See, not everyone thinks God's attention is desirable. I mean, it really depends on where you're at in your life right now. Depends on what you have going on. In today's passage, the special attention of God is pretty evident in the lives of all the people in in this narrative most notably jesus of course it's said of him in the latter part of the verses we'll look at that uh, god's favor the favor of god was on him now that makes sense of course because he was god's son and when we think about the favor of god being on god's son some of your translations the esv uses the word favor here but some of your translations most of them in fact will use the word grace here the grace of god was upon him and when we think of the grace of god uh, most notably, the way that we have most commonly translated this word or defined this word is uh, undeserved and unmerited, undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor from God. But that's not precisely what we're talking about here, because, of course, we're talking about Jesus Christ. And he does deserve God's favor. He is sinless. And so, broadly, we think of grace in terms of this undeserved favor, um, But we want to, sorry, narrowly we think of it that way. In a more general sense, we want to think of it as just receiving God's attention. That's what the favor of God is. It's getting God's special attention on our lives. Daryl Bach simply says, we become the object of God's special attention. Now, I hope that you want that. I think I want it. I pray like I want it. I want him working in me. I want him working not just in me, but I want him working through me. I, I have a sense that I want the glory of God shining in my life. I want the peace he offers. I want the joy that he delivers. I want the hope that can be mine. I want all of this and more. The very things that come from having the special attention of God. And I hope you want it too. I hope that's why you're here today, because you want God's attention. You showed up here desiring that, but maybe not. Today's message is going to be a little different. Because rather than preaching to the uh, willing and the eager... I'm going to counsel the disinterested and the unwilling. That's who I want to preach to today. I'm going to help everyone who does not want God's favor. So if you want God's favor, I'm glad you're here. You sit back. You don't even need to take notes today. Just don't close your Bibles, whatever. It's not for you. Okay, I only want to speak to those who do not want God's favor in their life. I'm going to preach to you. So let's start with the text. Luke two thirty six through 40 is where we are today. This is following hard on the heels of last week's narrative section with Simeon. Mary and Joseph are in the temple with Jesus. They've just had a dedication service for him, a purification service for Mary. And um, in the midst of the crowded courtyard of the temple, uh, this narrative takes place. There was a prophetess, Anna had performed everything according to the law of the lord they returned into galilee to their own town of nazareth and the child grew and became strong filled with wisdom and the favor of god was upon him the favor of god was upon jesus and uh, he's offering that uh, to all of us we see his favor throughout the passage on the various players here but Um, If you don't want God's favor, this is what we're going to go after today, because again, I'm speaking to the unwilling and the disinterested. If you don't want God's favor, just follow this counsel. Focus intently on your life circumstances. Get your eyes off of God. Get your eyes onto what's going on in your life, what's going on around you. Make a lot of noise about how hard your life is. People love that. Wallow in it let circumstances define who you are let that be your very identity for sure do not follow the example of Anna in this passage we were introduced to her here in verse 36 notice it says that there was a prophetess Anna the daughter of Phanuel the tribe of Asher it says here she was advanced in years It says that she had lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So she got married. She had never been with any other man. She got married and um, uh, they had a seven-year-long marriage and then he died. And then she remained a widow until she was 84. Now, uh, let's just do a little work here because um, she may have been 84 years old. And at the time, she would have been married probably in that culture at the time, in the ancient Near East, the custom was to be married around age 14 or 15 or 16. That was at the time. In that culture, way back when, it was okay to get married that young. But, but in this culture today, are you picking this up? You getting this? In this culture today... We don't normally get married that young. Are you understanding this? You should probably write that down. (laughs) All right. So um, she got married around 14, 15, 16 years old. Hard for a dad to get his head around. And, and then it says in the text that she, she um, may have, and the text is a little bit, the, the original language could be that she was 84 years old at the time, or listen, that she had actually been a widow for 84 years. This would now make her 105, 106, 107 years old. Now, whether it's one way or another, the, the grammar isn't clear. It, it really doesn't matter very much. If you're a widow for 61 years, or you're a widow for longer than that, that's a long time to be alone. Could we agree? I mean, that's one of the things that I notice. Cheryl and I are are, uh, are going to be married 25 years this year. I, I can't even hardly imagine right now what it would be like to not have her in my life. This is what gives me a lot of empathy for those uh, who are widows and widowers and who have been married for a long, long period of time and then lose their loved one. And we ought to have so much compassion uh, and grace towards uh, these ones who now feel a loneliness that um, those of us who are younger can't even imagine. I mean, this was, this was Anna's law. This was her entire life. But I get no sense at all that she let her circumstances dictate her joy in the Lord. She was serving God in a pretty significant way, and in a way that it makes clear in the text, she had God's special attention on her life. She didn't use the difficult life situation that she had as an excuse to be disengaged and a do-nothing person. She did what she needed to do to get God's special attention, to be available, to be used by Him. Whatever you do, If you don't want his favor in the way that Anna had favor from God, then for sure, keep focusing on your difficult situation. For sure, don't look at the Lord and seek him for his favor. favor. Keep focusing on how lonely you are. Keep focusing on how whatever... physical ailment you happen to have is so hard for you. Keep focusing on that. Keep focusing on your difficult financial situation. Keep focusing on, on, on the relational strain you have going on in your life. Keep focusing on those things. For sure, don't put your eyes on the Lord. If you don't want God's favor focus intently on your difficult circumstances and for sure, take a look at this now, avoid cultivating intimacy with God. Here's my counsel to you, if you don't want his favor. Keep God at a safe distance. He's dangerous. He is. He might ask you for something he might put a demand on your life he might call you to do something that normal people wouldn't do keep god at a safe distance anna blew this big time it says in verse 37 she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and praying praying and prayer night and day for sure, if you don't want the favor of God, if you want to keep God at a safe distance, stay away from other believers. Keep away from the church. The sermon's got so many great 30-second sound bites that could just torch my whole ministry, doesn't it? <laughs> she didn't depart from the temple. Now, there's a bit of hyperbole here. She was in the temple so often, so regularly, it was as if she had never left. Does she sleep here? You know that that guy in your workplace, and, and people say about him, that guy never leaves his desk. Well, of course he does. How do you think he got a hot coffee on his desk? He left at some point. He went and got himself a coffee. He does go home at night, though it may not seem so, because he's there before you get there, and he leaves after you leave seems like he never leaves. That's all we're talking about here is Anna was in the temple so often, so regularly. It was such a pattern in her life. It was like she was never gone and always there. She was cultivating an intimate relationship with God, worshiping him, the text says, attributing worth to him through fasting and prayer. Let's talk about those two disciplines. Fasting, it seems to me, I haven't fasted for a little while now myself. I used to have it as more of a regular practice in my own life. But of all the disciplines, it seems like it's particularly hard. That fasting, serious fasting, is only practiced by those who are really serious about their faith in Christ. Who seriously want to get close to god and really hear what he's saying they're the kind of people who want to kind of declutter their life for a period of time to make sure they're truly on track with him one of the greatest things i ever learned about fasting i i learned while i was doing a seminary course and i wrote a paper on this and studied it out and um and and it's very simple it's not even seminary level uh understand it's just Fasting is all about getting something out of your life that is a good thing, a gift from God. Getting that gift out of the way so you can really focus on the giver. That's what fasting is. I just really feel like I'm enjoying this gift so much that maybe I'm making it a bit of an idol in my life. I'm, I'm just going to like set it aside for this week I'm going to put it over here. I know God gave it to me. I know it's awesome in itself because it came from him. But I just want to set it aside to make sure that I really love him and not it. See what I'm saying? That's all fasting is. It's a lot less about getting God's attention and a lot more about making sure my attention is on the Lord. That I'm really focused on who he is. And Anna had this as a regular practice of her life. prayer as well was part of this and and um it's a more i just put down a more mainstream discipline i mean i would think all of us would say in the last week i prayed at the very least you would have prayed at corporate times most of you would have prayed around your table to thank god for food so we do pray a more mainstream discipline But it's practiced here in a way that shows that Anna's really serious about the Lord. It's it's constant. It's continual for her. Is your prayer life such? Is this what we're looking at here? Is your prayer life such that you would say it communicates in an intimate way with God? Not just that we're doing it. Not just we can say there's an appropriate time for this, that we got the check mark for praying. Pray today. Check. I got it done. I went through the list. I did it. But can you really say that I achieved intimacy with God, that I connected with him, that I really felt like he was there and listening to me? That's awesome when it happens he's really sense that god is really there and i don't want to suppose that some of you don't have that in prayer and many of you might have it in a way um, uh, that that would be an example to everyone else in the church and appreciate that when uh, people are that connected to the lord but i find that that's probably the thing that drives us away from even the check mark praying That you give yourself the check mark so many times in a row. Yes, I prayed. 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 Over and over again. Then I miss. I miss again. Then I pray. Then I miss. Then I miss. Then I miss. And I miss more often because what's really happening is all I'm getting is the check mark and I'm never getting to intimacy. And that's the thing that makes us stop. Because we never feel like we truly connected with the Lord. That we were never actually effective prayers. It's it's elusive, I get it. How can we really connect with God? Well, I was thinking about James 4.8. Great verse. The first part of it just simply says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So all I can say to you is this. Don't stop praying. Don't stop trying. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop drawing near to God in your prayers. Though you might be discouraged, though it might be hard, though you might not feel like you're achieving intimacy, for sure, don't just stop out of discouragement. Keep pressing Keep going. Keep seeking Him. Pray the Scriptures. Uh, Say these words aloud to Him. Pause in your prayers. Be quiet before Him. But the pattern and the emphasis of what is happening in Anna's life right now is the continual, never-ending, always pursuing. She was always in the temple worshiping God, fasting and praying. Don't stop. Tenaciously pursue the Lord. Don't become a prayerless Christian. If you give up on prayer, and maybe some of you have, and maybe it's intentional, then you'll give up on having God's special attention in your life, His favor. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe that is what you want. Because if you do worship if you are fasting if you are praying you will be opening up yourself to God's special attention alright ready for another little tip here the unwilling and disinterested I'm ready for another tip none of you are going to answer because you don't want to be that person right? remain ungrateful despite evident blessing Now, last week's message, we said, again, the couple comes in with their baby, dedication, purification. They meet this guy, Simeon. He comes up, and he speaks a blessing over this family. He speaks specifically to Mary as well. He tells other people about this. So you can picture the whole thing going on, the young couple there, the baby. Simeon's just had his time with them. And then the text tells us, verse 38, and coming up at that very hour. So you can simians just kind of finished speaking and then anna walks right up to the little gathering the little group and the esv kind of makes it a little bit more at that very hour which is actually literally what it says in the text but it literally means um, uh, at that very moment and some of your translations say that like in that instant anna then broke into the scene and began to speak to them as well She began to give thanks to God. Now, like Simeon, she also knew who this baby was. God had also shown her that this was the Messiah of Israel and the gratitude that flowed from her. Listen, this is a prerequisite. You have to be a grateful person if you want the favor of God in your life. He's not about to show His favor to people who aren't grateful for all He's done and for who He is. He might by His grace do that. Uh, We still receive so many blessings from Him even when we aren't grateful. But if we really want to unleash the special attention of God in our lives, then we will, on a regular basis, probably on a daily basis, be thanking God for all that He's given to us and for who He is. just think we want more from god and very often our prayers are filled with the shopping list of things that i believe god should give me but really should he do more for us if we've not truly thanked him for what he's already given could we even have that reasonable expectation of god god give me more give me this let me be show this to me make the way my path, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, without taking at least as much time to go over the list of things he's already delivered to us. We gather for 90 minutes for worship here. If we were just to have a Sunday where we said uh, no worship team this week, uh, no sermon this week, uh, no prayers this week, we want you to sit in your seat and make a list for 90 minutes, uh, a list of things you're grateful for. Uh, do you think you'd have enough time in 90 minutes to exhaust the list? There's a question. Do you think you'd have enough time in 90 minutes to list everything God has given to you? Uh, the answer is No. God's given us so much and oh that we should be grateful to him but if you don't want God's favor just remain ungrateful despite the evident blessing he's given to you. Now picking up on what we've just said in this sermon already you're unlikely to be a grateful person if your focus is on your circumstances. You're unlikely to be a grateful person if your intimacy with God is non-existent. You're more likely to be a grumbler who thinks that God owes him something? That's a surefire way to not have God's special attention because at the very mention of Jesus' name, for those who who are looking for God's favor in their life, the very mention of Jesus' name elicits gratitude. I hear his name. I can't help but think about the cross. hear his name and i i can't help but but think about the sacrifice that he made for me i i can't help it at any mention of the father i think about his abundant love for me and actually sending his son And how he continues to shower his love over me. Though I am so undeserving. At the very mention of the Holy Spirit of God. I think about his care and his comfort. And how he fills me with good things. Can't help it. A follower of Christ. At the mention of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Should have welling up inside of them gratitude. for all the evident blessing that He's given to us. See this next. If you don't want God's favor in your life, refuse any opportunity to serve or speak for Him. Anna went on to speak of Him, verse 38, to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now that... A phrase the redemption of jerusalem is another way of saying salvation or the coming of messiah or as we saw last week the consolation of israel those are all similar phrases all referring to the same thing israel was looking to be rescued and this was the plan another way of saying the plan that god was bringing about to save his people and so they're waiting for the redemption of israel waiting for messiah and anna In light of that and seeing the Messiah was not going to refuse the opportunity to speak and to serve God by speaking for him. Now, it said back in verse 36, did you notice that I just kind of um, uh, ran over the fact that Anna was a, she was a prophetess, right? And so we may be wondering what exactly does that mean? Well, simply stated a prophet or a prophetess, the female form of that, uh, speaks for God. That's what a prophet does. A prophet or a prophetess speaks for God in two ways. Uh, One way, the more miraculous way, I would suppose, uh, is a foretelling of the future. That's what a prophet does. We often think about that first in terms of prophecy, that it is a foretelling of the future. God would have to be the one who gave the prophet the information or the prophetess, give them the information so that they could then tell everyone else, this is what is going to happen. It's a miraculous prophetic gift, but a prophecy can also be this, the forth telling of the truth, known truths. And so in a very real sense, we've talked about this before, uh, because we have this uh, Bible, the word of God uh, delivered to us, a revelation from God. As I preach it, I am uh, literally prophesying it over you. I am uh, telling you or forth telling the truth. So that too is prophecy, and in what Anna does here, it's a little of both of those things. She was prophesying concerning the coming Messiah, which was something that was contained in the Hebrew Scriptures, and so she would have known about that, Uh, but God was also leading her in a pretty supernatural way to understand that this small child that was right in front of her was, and she was speaking prophetically, this is the Messiah, this is the one. And so she's now talking about more the future while pointing to this child, saying, He's the one who's going to save us. And um, I was just thinking as we went through this that uh, some of you might like to talk for a moment just about the fact that, um, you know, Hannah was a prophet and, and a girl. Do you want to talk about that for a second? No? Yeah? Let's vote no let's not let's talk about it see though the bible teaches and harvest is pretty strong on this the bible teaches male uh, leadership as the pattern uh, god is somewhat regularly delighted in breaking that pattern when necessary to accomplish his eternal purposes do you hear that you want me to say it again though the bible teaches male leadership is the pattern god is somewhat regularly delighted in breaking that pattern when necessary to accomplish his eternal purposes I hope you're okay with that. Aside from Anna, let me give you some proof, because I know you like proofs. Aside from Anna, five other women are mentioned in the Bible as having this title, this calling, or this role, also called prophetesses. Um, Miriam, Exodus 15. Deborah in Judges 4. Huldah in 2 Kings 22. Noadiah in Nehemiah 6. Isaiah's wife in Isaiah 8. And then in addition, in Acts chapter 21, those are all Old Testament examples. In in Acts chapter 21, Philip had four daughters. How does that feel, Joel? Four daughters? You know what that's like, right? Me and Philip. Man, right, exactly. And uh, they were all prophetesses, so they were pretty much always telling him what to do as a dad, right? So uh, Acts 21, you can check that one out later had four daughters who prophesied so that brought the number to 10 women who were identified as prophetesses five other women in the scriptures prophesied spoke prophecy but didn't precisely have uh, the title rachel in genesis 30 hannah in first samuel 2 abigail first samuel 25 and two that we've looked at in this series both elizabeth and mary prophesied or delivered the word of god um in a prophetic way. Now that's, would you agree with me? That's pretty significant evidence that God will use men and women to proclaim his truth and advance his plans in the way that he sees fit. Are we okay with God doing that? See, now Anna fulfilled that role although she was not. This is important. Anna fulfilled that role that God gave her, though she was not even permitted to go into the inner parts of the temple. She had to stay in a place called the Court of Women, though she was called to be a prophetess. She could not serve as a priest in Israel. She could not serve as an elder of Israel. But God used her in a significant way to proclaim the authority of his word. And so she fulfilled this calling that God had put on her life. And in fulfilling that calling, God's special attention was on her. And he gave her the privilege of seeing the Messiah with her own eyes. And we see this, and we understand not just from this text, not just the example of Anna, but throughout the scriptures, we see that it is upon uh, every believer as an obligation from the Lord that we should be working for Christ. That God gives every one of us specific gifts. He gives us a passion in our hearts. And when we match those two things, and it's affirmed by the leadership and the people around us, then we serve the Lord with gladness and faithfully, just as Anna did. You might have the gift of leadership or you have the gift of teaching or of helping or of mercy and compassion, of music, of worship, of administration. Whatever it is, you have a particular talent, a set of abilities that God has given to you. And then you match that with, I just love working with children. I just want to work with young people. I, 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 I just love leading people in worship. I love being in the details and uh, administrating and organizing things that's the passion that you have in your heart when you take the gifting and you add the passion you put it together and you begin to use that for God's glory that opens up the door for God's special attention God's favor to be on you and for God to use you in a significant way the way he used Anna but if that doesn't interest you then don't serve for sure don't speak for him Finally, if you don't want his favor, then deny the fact that all good things flow from Jesus Christ. The the story really ends, this narrative ends in verse 38, and then verses 39 and 40 are the sum total of the information that we have concerning Jesus from the age of six weeks to 12 years old this is the whole thing this is what we have and it's all capped off here with this one phrase at the very end when they had performed everything the they there is mary and joseph when they had performed everything according to the law of the lord so they had him circumcised they had married had her purification they dedicated him to the lord they did everything they gave the requisite sacrifice they did everything they were supposed to do it says here they returned to galilee to their own town of nazareth Then it says this, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Next week we'll look at the whole story of him at 12 years old going to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so this is six weeks to 12 years encapsulated in, really, verse 40. Now... I realize we're in January, we're still kind of dealing with the nativity story here as we work through Luke's gospel. But as you recall the nativity story, did they go straight from Bethlehem to Nazareth? Did they? No. What part of the story seems to be missing here? There's there's a big part including the egypt part and in fact when you start to think about the nativity narrative it comes to us from two different sources we have it in Luke's gospel and we have it in Matthew's gospel Mark doesn't deal with it and John doesn't deal with it and no other source material exists for it we just have these two gospels that speak about the nativity now one thing you have to understand about Matthew Mark Luke and John who give us the same time period an account of the same time period but sometimes uh, different perspectives on the same information because they wrote to different audiences. Uh, They themselves as authors had different personalities and different things that they wanted to emphasize to the audience they were writing to. And so Matthew and Luke emphasize different details of the story. It's not that Luke was giving us every single detail of the history and that we have a conflict with Matthew. Uh, Rather, we just need to take the two stories, overlay them, and come up with a good harmonization of that. And so... All of that said, um, in Matthew's account, of course, we have uh, the, the Magi, which we don't have any of that here in Luke. We have the slaughter of innocents um, in, the, in the town of Bethlehem, and we have the flight to Egypt. And all of that fits into the narrative pretty much here. Let's just take a look up at the screen for a second. Uh, this is going to help us just to see. Gabriel visits Mary, and we have the references there. Nine months later, Mary and Joseph depart for Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus. That's all in Luke. Eight days after that, after he's born... Jesus' name is given to him and in his circumcision, 32 days later, the family visits the temple. We've looked at all of this in Luke's gospel. And then uh, 12 to 24 months later, the family is still living in Bethlehem, which is very close to Jerusalem. The Magi visit Bethlehem. And then you have the whole deal with Herod. They go back to, uh, they they went to Herod in the first place, then they go back a different way because they get a dream because Herod has it on his heart that he's going to do some harm to the Messiah. So the Magi visit Bethlehem. The Magi go home a different way. um, The family flees to Egypt for for safety. And then as best week, so that's 12 to 24 months later. And then sometime later, not exactly sure how long, the family returns to Nazareth. And 10 or so years later, we'll pick this up next week, the family travels back to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, having heard all of that, and seeing everything that happens in in Luke's gospel, in Matthew's gospel, with regard to Jesus Christ, we see all that happened to celebrate his entrance into the world. We can see, and the last phrase in our verses today says this, that Jesus Christ was indeed the object of God's special attention. Jesus, as he came to this earth, and from the moment of his conception, had God's favor in his life. And then he becomes... The conduit, because he came to this earth, understand, he becomes then the way that God's favor flows to us. It's the way God's favor flowed to Mary, to Elizabeth and Zechariah, to Joseph. It's the way God's favor flowed to Simeon, to Anna. It's the way God's favor flowed to the shepherds and to the magi, to everybody that's involved in the story. You can see God's favor, God's special attention on all of them. And it's all through Jesus Christ. It's all through the Messiah. And it's no different 2,000 years later. The only way we get God's favor is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Every good thing that we have, all that we benefit from in this life comes to us because He came to us. The sacrifice of Christ is what gained us the favorable attention of God rather than simply, and this is what some are afraid of when they say, I don't really want God looking at my life. What they're really saying is that they're afraid of God looking at them. What they're saying is that they still have some sin in their life that they're not willing to deal with. What they're saying is that their life is still really about them. And they're selfishly holding on to some things. And that if God looks at them, it's not going to be great. Because it's going to mean his judgment. It means for some that really you're still under the condemnation of death. And have not yet come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so coming face to face with His holiness and with His blazing glory will mean just one thing, that you will be consumed by the fire of His holiness. The solution is Jesus. The solution is that we would have a relationship with Him where we would invite Him To allow God's favor to flow through him to us. Solution is Jesus. We have to understand that his sacrifice for us began in the very moment of his conception in the womb of Mary. We have to understand the sacrifice began right in that very moment as The very God of the universe, the one who had created everything, became in that moment, as small and microscopic as it seemed, He became human flesh in that very moment. And Jesus Christ taking our sin upon Himself began right there. The 33-year journey to the cross began in that moment when the Scriptures tell us the Holy Spirit overshadowed This young girl named Mary. If you want his favor, it starts of necessity at the cross. If you don't want God's attention, if you don't want his favor, then don't acknowledge that. Don't kneel at the cross. Don't come repenting to Jesus. Don't confess your sins. Continue to give yourself the credit to believe in chance or fate or whatever it is. Believe in yourself. But understand, here's what you forfeit. If that's the decision you make. Here's what you forfeit when you deny the fact of God's goodness. You forfeit forgiveness. I mean, having your sins really not counting against you. You forfeit healing. Of past hurts, of shame, of guilt. Of having that erased. So God's not going to bring that up against you anymore. And if someone else does, it doesn't matter because God forgave me. You forfeit that. You forfeit freedom. Rather than being a slave to sin, you have freedom in Christ. You forfeit the power and strength that He offers. So that no matter the trial you go through, you know He's with you. You forfeit the peace that surpasses all understanding. I don't get it. I don't know why I'm so peaceful. Uh, everything around me is crumbling, but I'm so at ease. I, I'm not anxious about it at all. You're going to forfeit that. You're going to forfeit wisdom that goes beyond anything you could ever think of. You forfeit direction, purpose in life, mission. You forfeit identity. You forfeit a a firm foundation beneath your feet. See, all this and more is forfeited if you deny that all good things flow from Jesus Christ. that's, That's a lot to walk away from, don't you think? Those who enjoy His favor know that all good things flow from Him. They receive it as from Him really next to the salvation that he provides us. Being the object of God's special favor beyond our salvation. Is the best thing going in this life. And you should want it. Let's pray. God help us to want it. Help us to, um, to have a desire in our hearts that's so strong for your special attention, to, to really have it in our hearts that we wouldn't be fearful at all of having your gaze upon us. In fact, we'd want that, we desire it, we long for it. So, God, help us to live it out in the same way that Anna did, with this tireless, never-ending, rising above her circumstances kind of faith. God, I pray every person in this room would have it. God, that we wouldn't for a moment run away from having your favor in our lives. That we wouldn't forfeit all the things that you offer us as a result. God, that we would be willing and eager to receive all that you have for us all of the promises, all of the treasures of eternity, all of the blessings that stand at the ready. God, we would pray as people of faith who desire these things. That in fact, you would open the floodgates of heaven, pour them out on us. As individual believers, God, pour out the floodgates of heaven on our families. God, pour out the floodgates of heaven on this church. And God, we'll be careful to thank you for all of that. We'll be careful to acknowledge it all comes from you. So God, help us in this. Help us to see you as our sufficiency for all things. The source of great favor. Thank you for your special attention on this place and on this people. Thank you for Jesus Christ who made it all possible. We pray in his strong name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.